And the scripture reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 11, verses 31 to 32, and Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 10. Allow me to read the passage for us. Uh, Genesis chapter 11. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lord, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, hares with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This is the word of the Lord. Allow me to pray for us. Father, we uh, pray that your word would come and minister to us. We pray this morning that you would draw us to greater faith in Christ Jesus. And uh, we pray, Lord, by your spirit that we will truly be able to experience the adventure, the, the spirit of adventure that only the gospel can bring. So help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, led by his father, Terah, Abraham settled down in this place called Haran. Haran, I guess, must have been a very comfortable place. Uh, I say this because Abraham's father, Terah, his initial plan was not to settle down in Haran. His initial plan from the passage we read was to go on to Canaan. But I guess he settled down because Haran must have been a very comfortable place. Why leave a comfortable place? And I would imagine that, that Abraham would have felt comfortable too. Because he too had settled on. But God called Abraham to leave. God told Abraham, leave your country, leave your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. And the passage we read in Hebrews tells us that Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. God called Abraham into the flux. What do I mean by flux? Flux is a place where everything is fluid and everything is constantly changing. Flux is a place where no matter how hard we try, we cannot be in control. Flux is a place where all the formulas of life that we have, however familiar we are and however skillful we are in using those formulas to get on with our lives are not going to work. 
And because we cannot control things in the flux, we have no other option but to seek God and to depend on him. And when God called Abraham, Abraham stepped out into the flux by faith in more ways than one. The first way he stepped out into the flux is by obeying God and going, knowing not where he was going. And second, as we read from the passage in Hebrews, he never settled down like his father had settled down in Canaan. He lived in tents, verse 9 tells us. And verse 11 tells us, verse 10 tells us that Abraham saw that the foundations of his city was not here. He was looking forward to a city whose builder was God. Abraham lived in a state of dispermanence. He never settled. He lived in the flux. Middle class people like you and I, we hate the flux. We spend our entire life trying to protect ourselves from ever having to face the flux. Our desire for comfort, our desire for security, our desire to be, feel assured about our future is perhaps the biggest curse that the middle class is carrying. Nothing is more subtle, nothing is more tricky in drawing us away from the call of God upon our lives than the pursuit of security. Because the middle class hates the flux so much, if I may say so, because we want our comfort, we want our security. We fail to see that flux is good for our soul. With that intro, I want to draw two things for us from this passage. First, flourishing in the flux. And second, building communitas, not just community. If you thought one new word was enough in a sermon, I've got one more, communitas. Bear with me, I'll, I'll unpack this for us. Communita, building communitas, not community. Let's start with the first thing, flourishing in the flux. You know, before the COVID pandemic rocked our world, we were all, relatively speaking, living in a state of equilibrium. In this equilibrium, we had settled down like Terra had settled down in Haven. Uh, in this equilibrium, we generally, we all knew how to do life. Each of us had developed our own formulas. If you do this and you add this and you do this, you get this. And we were very comfortable with, the, with those processes, with those outcomes. A good college, a good career, fast growth, good salary, uh, throw in a few SIPs, uh, maybe a home somewhere down the line. Marriage, of course, kids, savings, good holidays every three months or two months, uh, and, and good engagement with church. Of course, how, how can you ignore church in, in all these formula, right? We made even church fit into these, this, 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 this formula. We had life under control. Most of us were generally functioning in the state of equilibrium. I hate to admit it, but as a church, uh, we were also together as a church, cruising along in a state of uh, equilibrium. Good Sunday services, 
uh, great worship, good sermons, hopefully, good fellowship, uh, two, three outreaches during, during the year. We were all cruising along in the state of equilibrium. But then COVID came and knocked us off that equilibrium. Every one of us, we went into a free fall. COVID sent us hurtling into a disequilibrium, disequilibrium. All of a sudden, our formulas were falling apart. We faced insecurity about our jobs. We were afraid for our health. We were afraid for the health of the ones we love. The church, too, was pushed into the disequilibrium. We couldn't meet in person. We, we were stuck inside our homes for months. None of us were happy or comfortable with this. We hated the disequilibrium. Yes, we all grew in the disequilibrium in many ways. We grew as a, as a church. We grew spiritually. We grew in, in our Bible reading together, gathering every morning on Zoom, 30 minutes to read through one chapter of the Bible. We grew in our praying together, gathering on Zoom every morning, every evening for 30 minutes to pray together. We grew in our gospel audience. We grew in so many ways, but we still hated the disequilibrium. We didn't want to live in an uncertain world. And now, as I see so many people gathered in person, I'm actually pinching myself. Is the word world coming back to normal? Slowly, things are coming back to normal. Many churches are kind of resumed, have kind of resumed in-person services. We are able to meet one another in person. At work too, things are kind of beginning to get to normal. The stock markets are looking good. Take a deep breath with me now. Pause. Look into your heart. and Tell me, what does your heart long for the most at this juncture? What does your heart and mind long for the most at this juncture? I would imagine that every one of our hearts are longing to go back to equilibrium again. From this equilibrium that we were all forced into, we just long to go back to equilibrium. All we want is things to get back to normal so we can get back to the good old days. So we can go back to the good old formulas tried and tested. We didn't make a, a few changes in the lockdown, in the disequilibrium. We are happy with those changes. We are even happy living with those changes, but we want to go back to equilibrium. And I don't speak this for us just as individuals, even as a church. When things began to go up, open up, all I wanted to do was to go back to our equilibrium, to go back to the rhythm of meeting in person every week and, and doing things pretty much the same as we were doing earlier. Every one of our hearts shaken up by the disequilibrium is now longing to go back to the equilibrium. But moving back to an equilibrium will be a loss. Moving back to the equilibrium will be a shame. Can you think of why moving back to the equilibrium would be a shame? It's simple. When we are in equilibrium, we don't feel the need to grow in our dependence on God. When we are in equilibrium, we don't feel the need. And to be honest, we don't feel the desire to seek God. 
when we are in equilibrium, we don't feel the need for the Holy Spirit. When we are in an equilibrium, we don't need to grow. We don't need to be stretched. Why would you need God in an equilibrium where, where you can manage everything, you can predict everything, you can control everything? Where is the need for God in an equilibrium? And so it would be a shame for us to move back into the equilibrium we were all so comfortable with. And so you and I, we have two choices in life as we stand. In the moment in history where we stand, in the unique moment in history where we now stand, you and I, we have to choose between two options. We all began with equilibrium. We have pushed into this equilibrium. And right now, we can make the choice of going back into equilibrium or we can make the choice of moving into the flux. And I say this as perhaps the most important choice that you and I are going to make in this, at this moment in our lives. I really believe, and, and, and God's really been laying this on my heart, and I've been, Ajinos, I've been wrestling with this over the last couple of weeks. And this realization has shaken me up from my comfort zone. And I really believe in the next two months, the mindsets we have, the postures we have, the attitudes we have, the choices we make is really going to shape where we are headed. Are we going to move back into equilibrium or are we going to in faith move into the flux? The flux, as I said earlier, is a place where everything is fluid. Everything is constantly changing. Flux is a place where we have no other option but to be absolutely dependent on Christ Jesus. Flux is a place where our faith will grow and thrive. Flux is a place where we will be able to crucify the flesh and live by the Spirit. Flux is a place where we will grow grow both in the natural and in the supernatural, both in absolute dependence on God. Flux is a place where because we are not in a comfort zone, we will grow in how desperately and how truly we seek God. Flux is different from disequilibrium. Disequilibrium was forced on us. None of us chose the pandemic. It was forced on us. But flux is something we must willingly choose just as Abraham, in obedience to God, willingly chose. Flux is something we must willingly choose. Choose. Flux is a place where we willingly, consciously, intentionally, deliberately, in faith, move out of the comfort of the equilibrium so we can be more in commune with God's Holy Spirit. Flux is the opposite of comfort. Your future as a disciple of Christ and my future as a disciple of Christ is going to be, is going to be shaped by how much and how willingly we choose flux over the equilibrium. 
And, and I'm going to press in. I'm going to unashamedly press in this morning and force you to consider the question as an individual, as a family, are you going to move back to the equilibrium or are you going to move into the flux? The question we're going to be wrestling with over the next two, three weeks, because I do believe it's an extremely important for us to wrestle with, is as a church, are we going to move back to equilibrium or are we going to move back, move afresh into the flux? You know, as I said earlier, the middle class, we hate the flux. So it is almost impossible for a middle class person to willingly move from a place of equilibrium into, into the flux. It's, it's just impossible. But if this typical middle class person is pushed from equilibrium into disequilibrium, in disequilibrium, he or she is probably more likelier to step forward into the uncertainty and into the adventure of the flux. And that makes me wonder, it makes me wonder if one of the reasons God allowed the pandemic is to push people like us out of the equilibrium into the disequilibrium so that we will come to a place that we will choose the flux willingly. Your future as individuals and families and our future, our spiritual future as New City Church is in the flux. Look at the past. Look at the past history of the church. The church has flourished in every time in history when it has lived in either disequilibrium or the flux. And every moment in history, every season in history when the church has been very comfortable in, in an equilibrium, it has decayed. It has not grown. The church in China is a great example of a church that's flourishing in the flux. And later today, as we close, I'm going to share another story of, of the church in the 18th and 19th century America, which truly flourished in the flux. Revival, historically, when I say historically, I don't mean the last 200, 300 years. Revival over the last 2,000 years has happened whenever leaders and members willingly choose to live in the flux rather than live in an equilibrium. Flux looks different for different people. It looks different for different cultures. It looks different for different churches. I, I can't stand here and prescribe what is flux for you? I don't even know what flux is for me. All I know at this point in, moment, point in time is I don't want to go back to the equilibrium because that will be to my loss. And so let me think out aloud and give us some examples of what does flux practically look like. It's compelling as an idea, but what does it practically look like? Uh, for many of us, uh, I have to confess for me, Fasting is living in the flux because I'm disoriented. I, I, I'm forced to depend and cry out to God. All of mission is flux. You don't quite know what the response is going to be when you're on mission. And one of the first thoughts that came to me is, is what if one Sunday... 
we just disrupt the way church is being done. Here, this gathering is being done. What if we sit, we spend an entire Sunday thinking, praying, brainstorming, how do we in faith remain in the flux, move to the flux as individuals and as a church? So on the 21st of November, we're going to do a vision Sunday. We're going to do everything different, which is just a couple of weeks from now. We're going to sit around in tables and, and we you know, brainstorm, discuss, pray together, cry out to God together. Because if we just continue the way we are going, we'll, we, we'll move back into the equilibrium. And on the outward, it, it'll, it'll be comfortable. We are a good church. We don't want to go there. We want to break. We want to break. We want to see a shift happen. Some more examples. What does a flux, moving into the flux look like? What would it look like for us to take one week off from work? Go on a mission drive as individuals by yourself, maybe two, three of us. Go on a mission drive and, and, just, and just speak about Jesus to whoever you meet, whoever God would bring along your way. That's flux. That's saying no to the equilibrium. What would it look like for you to take 700 rupees with you and, and do a seven-day trip with just 100 rupees a day? Force yourself to, to, to break that mindset. What we're trying to do, 25 conversations before Christmas. I can tell it's making a lot of, people, lot of us uncomfortable. We're not too happy being pushed into having conversations with those of us who are not followers of Jesus. That's flux. Bravingly stepping forth and having that one conversation with someone who's not a Christian. That's moving to the flux. Um, some time ago, I think it was in Midday where I read an article. Midday, Mumbai Mirror, I, I can't remember. There's this uh, a person who, who highly successful MBA. I, I wish I could tell you that person was a Christian. Uh, he or she was not. Uh, this person spent a week at VT Station polishing shoes, sitting beside all the shoe polishers that you and I would find in VT. I can't remember if it was he or she. He or she spent one week polishing shoes. Highly successful MBA, doing very well in his or her career. And, and it says, flux was not the word he or she used, but it says, I, I wanted to be in a place of disorientation. Because disorientation is a place where innovation is birthed. Disorientation is a place where new ideas are birthed. Disorientation is a place in which mindsets change. Disorientation is a place where we will finally listen to God's Holy Spirit. Because every one of us in our comfort zones, we have learned to ignore or be indifferent to the voice of the Holy Spirit whispering into our hearts. And so that's the first thing I wanted to share, flourishing in the flux. And I really want to exhort every one of us. As I said, I can't define what flux is for you. But would you wrestle with this idea? Would you, would you wrestle that Abraham, not knowing where he was going, went? Would you go in faith, following God, following Christ? Would you go not knowing where you go, where you're going? Flourishing in the flux. The second thought that I want to unpack is only flux 
can take us from community to communitas. Only flux can take us from community to communitas. Let me explain communitas it's in, in very simple words. It's a very simple idea. Five friends going to a movie and an evening at the mall builds community, which is good. But the same five friends going on a difficult 10-day trek to the Himalayas without a guide builds communitas. That's the distinction between community and communitas. Risk, disorientation, danger. A group of people living comfortably in equilibrium will form a community. A group of people desperately trying to figure out things, desperately trying to figure out how life is going to happen in a place of disequilibrium of flux will birth communitas. Communitas happens when people are forced to endure a period of disorientation. Comfort builds community, but risk, danger, disorientation, unpredictability, discomfort, adventure leads to communitas. The church was always meant to be disciples living in communitas. The church was never designed to be a happy, comfortable community without the risk of mission. And the second, and so the second thing we need to think about is building community and not communitas. Again, right now, every one of us, and as a church, we have a really big choice to make. If we move back into the equilibrium, can I have the next slide come up, please? If we move back into equilibrium, we will move back into community. But if we choose to move into the flux as a church together, we will move into communitas. I shudder to think how we would end up three years, five years down the line if we move back into equilibrium and community. Make no mistake, we are a good church. And three years down the line, five years down the line, if we move into community, uh, move into back into equilibrium and as a result of that into community, we won't be a bad church. We will still be blessed. It's, it's not a difference between good and bad that we're talking about. It's a difference between good and great. Uh, my prayer this morning is God would grip every one of our hearts. God would unsettle our hearts. God would give us the strength not to move back into equilibrium. So community can become communitas only when a group of people experience risk and disorientation together. This idea comes from uh, uh, a book called The Forgotten Ways written by Alan Hirsch, a missiologist who's based in, uh, in Australia. And he gives the illustration of a tribe in Africa to, to really unpack what communitas really means. And in this tribe in Africa, uh, the women live in a separate part of the village with all the children and the men live in a separate part of the village. And uh, every few years when all the boys are kind of moving into adulthood, one day all the men uh, from, the, from, the, from the male part of the camp would, would in the middle of the night sneak in to the women part of the camp, kidnap all the teenaged boys, take them into the wilderness and leave them there and come back. 
And so for a couple of months, three months, four months, all the teens, teen men moving into adulthood will have to fend for themselves in the wilderness. And as they go through that period of disorientation, there is a bond that is built between these young men that will never fail them the entire life. There is a coming together. There is a moving together with purpose. There is a coming together, being there for one another. There's a sense of surviving together, moving forwards together, which will never be lost on them for the rest of their lives. And Alan Hirsch kind of says, this is the kind of communitas that the church today needs to experience. Community becomes communitas when a group of people experience risk and disorientation together. So in one sense, my role as a pastor in this season is not only to guide the congregation, but to also disturb the congregation. We need that. We need that. Some more practical thoughts. What does communitas looks like for us? Small groups. Every church has it. Beautiful. We've had our huddles. We've had our small groups. How can we design our small groups for communitas? What if every one of us gather together and go out into a mall, into Starbucks, into somewhere, or, or go into our own, the places where we live, work, and play, go back into our own neighborhood and, and say, we're going to have one conversation with someone who's not a follower of Jesus. Ministry births community. Mission births communitas. Ministry is what we do, how we love and serve one another in the church. That's ministry. Anything that happens inside the church is ministry. Ministry builds community. It's good. It's biblical. It's godly. We are bent. We're called to build community, to ministry, which builds community. But that's not all. We are also called to mission, which births communitas. We cannot build communitas in the comforts of the church. This is an amazingly wonderful facility. We're grateful to God for that. But if we just become comfortable, it's not going to build communitas. Communitas can never be built in the, communi- in the confines of a church. Communitas can be built only when the church enters public spaces. In a sense, we're also grateful for this space because this is a public space. You, you have hundreds of people working here through the week and perhaps even today. The idea of the church being called to meet and gather in a public place is often lost on us. And let me show us something extremely interesting from the early church. Acts chapter 2, two verses 42 uh, on to 47. I'm not going to read it all, but I'll zoom in on what, I'm, what I'd like us to see. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer, and the amazing things were happening. And then the underscored portion was 44, I think. Every day, they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Every day, they continue to meet together in the temple courts. A very familiar passage. Whenever we read this passage, whenever we read that the early church met in temple courts, we assume that the church was meeting in a Christian space. Was it? Was the first century Jewish temple a Christian 
space. It was not. Who crucified Christ Jesus? Who rejected Christ Jesus? It was the first century Jews. Paul was arrested. We've just finished a series on Philippians. Paul was arrested, if you remember, at the temple. The first century Jewish temple was not a Christian space. It was against Christians. It was a public space. And so in the first century, the church met in a public space. When we meet in a public space, we are forced into mission. We can't do things the way we do it. We can't do, keep doing things the way we are comfortable. We need to adapt. We need to reorient ourselves. So when the church meets in isolation, we do tend to focus on ministry and it builds community. But when the church meets in the public square, public space, we are forced into mission and it builds communitas. Do you know when the first church building was built? The first church building? The first church building was built in the year 313 AD. 313 AD. The church did not have a building for the first 300 years. It was when uh, the Roman Emperor Constantine became uh, a Christian that he began building churches. And the real way of build the church building, all the beautiful buildings and the architecture, most of what we see today was built between the 11th and the 14th century. But the first church building was still built only in the year 313 AD. Till then, the church was meeting in people's homes, yes, but also in the public space. And so we need to brainstorm together. We need to um, pray together. We need to wrestle with the start together. And how can we be the church in the public space? I want to share one example of a church that willingly chose the flux. Uh, this is from, mid, from the mid-18th century. Around this time, if you watch some of the early Western movies, uh, America as a nation was truly coming to its own as a nation. Uh, the established denominations, the Anglicans, the Presbyterians, beautiful and wonderful and as rich as they were in their traditions, they were sadly declining. And this was probably because America as a nation was expanding into the West, but the churches stayed put in the East. This was the time when you could venture out into the West and you could find, find a, pla- a, a, a swath of land. And you could kind of file your claim, come back and file uh, your, your rights on that land. This, this was that time when, when through this process, towns were just being built. Cities were just being built. There were no roads. And around this time, what was happening was a large chunk of population was moving away from the east to the west. But they were not living in cities. They were just moving out into the wilderness and, and, and taking large spaces of land. So, so people were, were really spread across. And so the traditional model of church planting, which is a church in a neighborhood with a parish, with a pastor, which is so popular, which is the way church was done in that time, just did not work in the West. Because a neighborhood would be like 300 square miles and there would be four families living across 300 square miles. So how do you build a church? How do you have a parish? And, and so the, 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 some of the existing denominations, as rich and as beautiful as they were, did not have an answer. And that was when uh, Methodist minister Francis Asbury 
uh, came to America as a missionary in 1771. And he saw a missional opportunity here and he entered the flux. This is not a disequilibrium that he was thrown into. This was the flux that he willingly chose to enter. And he changed the church planting model upside down. Rather than pastors based in a single neighborhood, he, he envisioned and he recruited hundreds of preachers who would travel on horseback and simultaneously pastor many churches in the area of land. They came to be known as circuit riders, circuit riders, the Methodist circuit riders. Francis Asbury set aside the conventional model of a parish or a pastor for a neighborhood and came up with the innovation of a pastor for a circuit. And each circuit was actually 200 to 500 miles on horseback. So every week the pastor would start, move, you know, drive on the horse, ride on the horse and go to each of these settlements, preach the good news. And he would preach sometimes several times every day because he was kind of on the, on the move. Sometimes the circuits were so large that it took six weeks to complete one cycle. All the other denominations were stuck with two things. They were stuck with full-time pastors who remained in only one neighborhood. That would never work in the new American frontier West. But the Methodist circuit riders moved around in that circuit. They would have to spend the night with any family that would put them up. And sometimes it wasn't comfortable. It was truly flux. Imagine you, you, you ride on a horse uh, with great risk to yourself. This was the time of the Wild West. There was no law. And you would take great risk. You would, you know, you would drive to a family, which is maybe 100 miles away, and you would tell them about Jesus. And, and they would tell you, no, I don't care about Jesus. And you would have to ask them, can I please stay in your home tonight? Because it's already eight in the night and I have nowhere to go for the next 200 miles. That's how they had to live. Flux and this built communitas. And these circuit riders rarely served more than two years on the same circuit. They would keep moving, moving, planting more churches. And this model really took off. The church flourished in the flux. Before Francis Asbury started the circuit rider model, the Methodist church in America had 300 members led by four pastors, 300 members led by four pastors. But by the time Francis Asbury died in 1816, there were 2,000 circuit riders and 200,000 members of the Methodist church. He led the Methodist church into the flux. And this period of the Methodist church planters to this date is the most prolific time of church planting in all of America. The church can only truly flourish in the flux. And in that time, all the other denominations declined. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not here to bat for the Methodist denomination. They too declined later. And that's true of every denomination. But God continues to build his spirit. So the question, even in our careers, this is not just a church conversation. Even in our careers, are we going to live our careers by faith and move into the flux? Or are we going to move into the 
back into the comfort of the equilibrium where we can continue to remain indifferent to Jesus or we can continue to put Jesus. No, don't hear me wrong. None of us, and I, I speak this for myself, not just for you. None of us will ever reject Jesus. We will just re- reduce Jesus to a part of the formula of life that you have all created for yourself, that I have created for myself. In, in, in your equilibrium, in my equilibrium, Jesus will just be a part of the formula. But in the flux, Jesus will be our everything. He will be the one he is meant to be the Lord and the Savior of our lives. It might seem impossible. It might seem intimidating. It might be overwhelming to think that we'll have to move into the flux. But we need to remember that we do worship a God who willingly walked into the flux to save us. We not only have a God who sends us into the flux, but we have a God, Christ Jesus, who willingly came into the flux. Just as Abraham left his father's house and obeyed God, Jesus too left his heavenly father's home, heaven itself, and came down to save us. The cross, the cross was the greatest disorientation ever where God became man and suffered for the sins of men and women. 